Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today is Thursday, July 9th, 2020. We are doing another segment on preparing for Sunday morning. And in the one-year lectionary that uh, is the fifth Sunday after Trinity, we are into the Trinity season here. Um, So, uh, thanks for joining us. Before we begin, let's begin with a word of prayer with the Collect for this coming Sunday. So, let us pray. O God, you have prepared for those who love you good things that surpass all understanding. Pour into our hearts such love toward you that we, loving you above all things, may obtain your promises which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So this is the fifth Sunday after Trinity. We have some interesting texts this week um, coming up for the Sunday. Uh, all good stuff. And, and when, when you first hear them, you're going to wonder... How do these have anything to do with each other? Well, that's my job here as the pastor of Resurrection. That's my job to look into the, the threads and the themes. But it all starts with the gospel text, because uh, in our lectionary, uh, all the other texts, the Old Testament, the epistle, even the intro, it, they all circle around this gospel text, and they help us understand the gospel just a little bit better. And the gospel helps the other texts as well. So they help each other out. And this is what we mean by Scripture interpreting Scripture, right? So let's begin with our gospel text for this coming Sunday, which is from Luke chapter 5. Verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. 
So let's take a look at this text from Luke chapter 5, and let's dissect it a little bit. We see here that this is uh, Luke's version of the um, call of the first disciples, and uh, you know this this could be easily seen as something that's you know uh, it's 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 just Luke's way of talking about. Uh, let me see what um, of talking about what uh, Matthew and Mark record. Um, you see, I think it's Matthew chapter four and then Mark chapter one. It's just saying, you know, this get this this is just how Luke records it. But it's it's very distinct what's what's happening here. Because in those other two texts, Jesus simply um well, profoundly, but simply says, uh, you know, he says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? Um and there's not much left there. They're washing their nets, they're fishermen, right? And we've heard this before. In fact, I, I, I grew up at a church, or I grew up going to a church um, down in Sugarland, Texas called Fishers of Men. So I'm fairly familiar with these texts, but Luke is distinct here because of this story about how uh, Jesus preaches and he gets into the boat. He gets into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and uh, he asks him to put out a little from the land, and then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. This is how rabbis would teach. They would sit, right? So um, we're looking here in the text that when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And this is uh, this quintessential Simon Peter uh, being a little bit indignant. You know, This is just a foreshadowing of the things to come in uh, Peter's eventual denial of Jesus. And uh, we, we, we see this worked out where um, he says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Like you can kind of hear him using that kind of, uh, that kind of tone of voice, right? And it's, it's, a, it's a little indignant, um, it's a little, it's, it's not quite uh, faithful. <laughs> it's not perfect in response saying, yes, Lord, for you are the Lord of all and, and I will follow you wherever you go, including doing something that is completely against convention. No, that's not what Peter says. What he says is, well, okay, well, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but I guess, you know, at your word, I'll let down the nets. So, this is key, though. I'm, I'm saying all this to kind of exaggerate uh, the point, but the point is that Simon Peter is not calling him Lord here. He um, is calling him Master, and that's a completely different word than what he says later. Hang on. I've got to get my Greek New Testament out here so I can properly talk about these things. So, um, the, let me see, this is Luke chapter 5. So, we see that Luke records Peter's response saying, Master, right? And sometimes you'll hear some people say, Rabbi, about Jesus. And in some ways, that's missing the point. That's missing the mark. Yes, they are talking about him in a certain way that uh, is certainly attributable 
to Jesus. Uh, he is the Lord. He is the master, right? He is the teacher. But most importantly, he needs to be recognized first and foremost as the Lord, right? He is the Lord of all, and this is the uh, this this is the Greek word uh, Kyrie. It's where we get in our um, divine service the uh, and and in certain prayer prayer services the Kyrie. Eleison, right? The Lord have mercy. But here in Luke chapter 5, let me see, verse 5, he says, um, epistata. And epistata just means, you know, one who is master over somebody, one who stands over somebody, right? Um, it's not curios. It's not kyrie, uh, which, is, which, which means Lord. And knowing the context of things, this is very this is very significant, right? So he starts out saying, "Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, and but at, at your word, I will let down the nets." So this is the key, at Jesus's word, right? At his word, these things are done, um, and this is a miracle for sure. That when they let down their nets, they enclose a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. These are professional fishermen out on the sea, on the lake, right? I mean, they call it the sea. They, they, were, they were out fishing, doing what they do. Never before have they encountered such a large load of fish that made their professional grade, right, nets start to break, yet they hold together, right? And, uh, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And this is so miraculous that um, Peter falls down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Not master, O Lord, I am a sinful man. You would only say this to someone that is recognizing you know, divinity here, right? Um, it's not quite the... Um, confession that he makes later on uh, where Jesus asks who do who do you say that I am and he says you are you are um, the son of the living God right the Christ um, so we see here this very interesting story and so we say well what do we make of all this what do we make of the fish what do we what do we make of the boat um, and it helps to read these things in a way that is transcendent. Uh, I'm trying to be very careful here in how I talk about this because a lot of times people can just allegorize this to the point where, you know, it's just a nice story or it it's a story that illustrates something, but it can leave people thinking that it's just a, a metaphor. That's all it is. But it's not a metaphor. This actually happened, that Jesus actually came along, got in the boat, they went out in the boat and caught this huge number of fish. It's, it, it, it is not just a metaphor. It is a, it's an actual occurring, uh, occurrence. These boats existed. Peter existed. Jesus existed. The fish existed that they caught. Um, it's not just a nice moral of the story kind of thing, but you can see it that way, that God's word transcends uh, this just basic reality of this nice story of catching fish, that it is 
um, it can be interpreted and often is interpreted in a certain way to where it's very profound because it talks about the church. It talks about the preaching of God's word, specifically the word of Christ, that catches people, right? Because if it, if it was just about catching fish, that's where it would stop. But it goes on that Peter says to Jesus, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And then what does Jesus say to Simon Peter? Do not be afraid, right? We know this is absolution. Um, let me see here. That's verse 10. Um, May phobu. Do not, f- do not fear. Stop fearing, right? From now on, you will be catching men. And, and the ESV doesn't really do it justice here. It's supposed to be uh, you will catch men alive, right? You will catch men alive. And then when they and then it says and then when they brought their boats to land they left everything and followed him. Okay, so what do we do with this? How do we understand this? What does it mean uh, for us? Uh, what is what does it mean for the church? What does it mean for believers? That what is what what's the significance of all this? Right? And there's a lot of questions. I'm gonna try to answer them. So the point is that Jesus is preaching. Right? It starts at the beginning of chapter five. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, right? And then he gets into the boat and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. If you go back a little bit before chapter five, the last uh, verse of chapter four, which is verse 44, says, and he was preaching in the the synagogues of Judea. And so this is all about the preaching. It's the preaching of the word. It's the preaching of, it's the word made flesh preaching the word of God, right? It's very meta. <laughs> if you want to get to that, that sort of understanding that, that, that the word incarnate, the word made flesh is preaching the word of God, that it's all about the word. And you even see in, in, in um, uh, Peter's um response to Jesus to go and go into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. He says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. But this is important because when you see word, you might think uh, logos, right? Uh, like the, uh, at the beginning of John one, but in, but actually, um, let me see here. In the Greek, it says, hremati. this is, not just a word that is uh, the abstract logos, the, 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 the um, all-knowing wisdom, you know, all this, you know, the, it's not the logos, it's the hrema. It's the uttered word, the spoken word, right? So he's literally saying, um, but at your spoken word, at your spoken command, at your spoken, you know, um, yeah, at, at, at your spoken word, I will let down the nets, Right, so that there there is the essence of preaching here. That when we preach, we preach the word of God, and we see what comes from this preaching in this miracle is that this there's this miraculous catch of fish, and then he says at the end, from now on you will be catching men alive. How will he be catching men? By the word of Christ in the exact same way, right? It's not uh, that we can use the word of Christ, the word of God to, 
do whatever we want, but it is for the purpose of catching men alive, catching people, right? You can read, you know, catching men. Oh, that's very sexist. No, it's, it's, um, anthropos means, or anthropos means mankind, right? It's, it's very generic, uh, or it's, it's, yeah, it's very generic in the sense of that it means people, right? But, Catching men is very true to the uh, words uh, and true to the Greek and everything like that, true to the the original form, because, uh, you know, language matters. And uh, that's why we say mankind, um, that that kind of establishes the uh, hierarchy of things, the, the order of creation. Man was created first, and then from man came woman, Right. Um, I'm not going to get into all that right now, but you see that you will be catching men alive uh, from now on with the word of Christ. And this is in some ways terrifying uh, because uh, what's going to happen later on is that when they preach, the world's not going to like it. And we're going to get into that, what that means in, in the, 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 the rest of the text. But I wanted to really focus on that, that, this, that there are parallels here. Um, some people get upset when you allegorize this to death, but you know what, for the sake of it all, uh, we're just going to take a stance because <laughs> that's what preaching is. You take a stance on an interpretation and you stick with it and, uh, you make that stance because of, uh, the context and because of the, the hermeneutical principles of scripture interpreting scripture. It's the inter the the interpretive scripture the interpretive principles of scripture interpreting scripture that all throughout Luke there's a lot of talk about boats uh, there's a lot of talk about Jesus being in the boat uh, there's talk about Jesus being out of the boat right and what do we do with this um, well I I really love um, uh, the Concordia commentary by uh, my professor at the seminary um, Dr Arthur Just um, he really, um, talks about this beautifully and very succinctly. He doesn't go into too much, um, he doesn't get in the weeds or anything like that, but he just states it very plainly. And I love it. Um, saying that, uh, the, the boat, think about it this way. The boat is the church, right? The boat is the church. Jesus is in the boat. When Jesus is in the boat and when his word is spoken, you get this miraculous catch of fish. Who are the fish? Those who are brought into the church by the word of Christ in the hearing, in the uh, catechesis, in the confessing the word of God back that is spoken to them. They, they speak it back, right? It is in the word of God. Uh, they are brought in through the word that is, that is applied to them in holy baptism with the water. They are kept in the boat by the word of Christ applied to the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Christ. You know, there's, there's so much you can say here that G Jesus is in the boat. The boat is the church. That's why you see a lot of church architecture where you'd have the nave and, uh, you, you know, you have all these different parts of the church that are named after a ship. Um, and that's what, that, that's the, um, parallel you can see here that you have, uh, the boat goes out, the church goes out into the waters. Now, what does the waters, si um, signify? 
signifies the chaotic world. Because the sea was always known as the place of chaos, right? And if you're out in the sea, and that's, that's why even Paul talks about um, in, in Ephesians, you know, that, so, that, so that we do not, so that we are not like children tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine out on the chaotic sea, so that we're not just kind of bobbling back and forth um, between teachings and the, the chaos that the world likes to ensue upon us. Um, and so we see that there is a picture here. And it's a picture of Jesus going out into the boat, not by himself, but he brings people with him. He brings the apostles. He brings pastors. Their pastors are in the boat with Jesus. They're in the church with Jesus. And they have the word of the word of Jesus being spoken. And that is the net that brings the people in. And it brings them in, not dead, but alive. So there's a lot of things we can we we can get to here, but the, it's very it's just a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of the church, and uh, there's just some some notes I really wanted to get 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 by here that you know, the, if the boat is the church, and Jesus is in the boat, performing this miraculous catch of fish just by his word being uttered, then Peter is right to recognize the magnitude of the situation before his eyes, right? And, and then in the same way, we ought to fall down and acknowledge the awesome event of Christ being present in his supper when we celebrate it. And here at Resurrection, we celebrate it every Sunday. And sometimes that can get a little tedious or that can get a little, um, you know, it's natural to think, well, if I have it every week, then, I, then, then it loses its, um, I don't know special qualities, uh, that it loses the meaning. It, does, it, it becomes less meaningful the more that I receive it. But the truth is, is that the supper's not getting less special. You are. The supper never changes. Uh, the body and blood of Christ stays the same. You're the one who uh, falls back and forth into the desires of your flesh, right? Um that every week here at resurrection and you know whenever you have the lord's supper given to you by your pastor you are in the presence of almighty god you're in the presence of jesus christ not just spiritually but physically he's there in the bread and the wine for you to eat and to drink right for it to be given to you and you to receive uh, and it's very interesting because if we were to see these things in strictly a judgmental sense, we would see them as Peter saw it when this huge, you know, this huge catch of fish came in and he's saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Because by our own merit, we would only deserve Christ's presence for judgment. Just like Peter realizes here in the text. It is truly is an inconceivable notion by our own reason and logic and strength. It truly is an inconceivable notion that God, the most high Jesus Christ deigns, that is, <laughs> uh, humbles himself to dwell with us and is in us in the supper. Like when we eat the body and blood of Christ, 
we eat Jesus and he becomes a part of us, physically, literally, right? Uh, it, it's, 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 it's a literal thing, and that is for your assurance. It is for your, it is for your assurance of salvation. It's for the strengthening of your faith, right? And so yet here he is, instead of being here for judgment, he is here in the bread and the wine and the preaching of his word and the remembrance of your baptism. He is in all these things, not for your judgment, but for your salvation unto eternal life, saying, do not be afraid, Right? Do not be afraid. This is absolution. It's beautiful. Um, and in the same way, in this miraculous catch of fish, Jesus shows the power of his word through visual means, right? The power of his word to catch these fish. How much more will his word catch men, um, catch men alive, right? So now with us in the church now, in the boat, right? Now he shows the power of his word through tangible means in his supper. And just as Peter, James, and John left everything after this and followed Jesus, so now all who partake of Christ's body and blood naturally and essentially follow Jesus as sons of God and, f and therefore fellow heirs with him, right? that if you receive this supper worthily, um, and that we can get into that later about what that means worthily, but if you receive the body and blood of Christ for, for your salvation, then you receive it and then you are a new creation, right? You, this, is, this is strengthening you. This is bearing you up to bear good fruit, to follow him, and be his disciple. Now, um, this is kind of interesting where we get to this part where he says, from now on, you will be catching men. But we have to make a distinction here. And I know I'm kind of running long on this, but it's worth it. That he says, from now on, you will be catching men. And it's important to point out that he is specifically speaking to uh, Peter, James, and John, right? They will be apostles. They will be pastors. Um, they have a special role to fulfill. They have a special office to fulfill. Um, this does not necessarily, like, sure, everybody needs to go out. All, all Christians need to proclaim the word of God in their, in their lives, to their friends, to their family, to anyone who will hear. But the thing that this is talking about is gathering in the people that need to hear the word of Christ, gathering them into church, gathering them into the boat, right? By sharing the word of God with people and saying, come and see, come and listen to what great things God wants for you in your life. Come to church, come and see these things because my pastor loves to talk about it. My pastor loves to preach about these things. He loves to get into these things and he loves to talk to you and tell you about the love of Christ, right? Um, that's, that's my job as, as a pastor. That's all pastors' jobs. It's to do this wonderful thing and tell people about the love of Christ. Um, sometimes we have to do the not-so-fun thing and admonish them, but the law kills and the gospel makes alive, right? And it's, and it's all the word of God. So it, all of it has to be applied. But the thing is, is that 
um, here, there is the call to the vocation of pastor to specifically apostle that Peter, James, and John are being called to. Um, not everyone is called to this. Not everyone is called to be a pastor. Not everyone is called to proclaim uh, the word of Christ uh, in this way. Um, only certain people are, and uh, Scripture says that those people are men. Right? This is a very this is a manly thing to do. It's a fatherly thing to do uh, to to go into a church and to speak to the children of God in the stead of Christ, um, who is the bridegroom of the church, the bride, right? Um, that's why we don't believe, uh, and I'm getting off on a tangent here, but I'll get back to it in a minute, that that's, that's why we don't believe that women can be pastors. In fact, uh, Scripture forbids it. And also, there's a good reason, because, uh, well, you're getting into a realm that was never meant to be an office for women, not as a slight, not as a function, saying that a woman couldn't function as a pastor and do the things that a pastor does as far as, you know, um, speaking the word of God. Uh, you know, technically, a woman could functionally be a pastor, but it's not the office that is given to women to do, just like it's not given for women to be fathers, um, just like it's not given to women to be husbands, right? Uh, this is given to men to be pastors, and it ought to be a very manly thing to do, um, a, one that is not only just full of admonishment and uh, um, preaching of repentance, but also a preaching of compassion and grace, right? Um, so that's that's all I'll get to there. That's all I'm going to say about that because we got to move on here. So we're talking about preaching. We're talking about uh, pastors preaching the word of Christ, drawing people in by the net of Christ's word, and uh, realizing the weight of this and that all pastors, if they're honest, they would fall down and say, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I am not worthy of carrying out your will in this way. Yet, Christ still calls men to be pastors. He still calls men to uh, preach the word of God. And so that, and, and we're going to see how this works out uh, going on to our Old Testament uh, passage. It's a little long, so bear with me. It's from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And before and, and, and behold, there came a voice and said to him, There came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I 
Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over, over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and let every mouth that and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was left with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he rose, then he arose and went after Elijah and, and assisted him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we see here another uh, discipleship text that um, it is God's will that Elisha should follow Elijah, right? Uh, there's this understanding that when you're called to discipleship, when you get the call, you go right? Um, when you get the call, um, you go. Just like when I was called to be the pastor here at Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas, I got the call, I went, I came, right? Um, and I was given the orders, I was ordained here at Resurrection. Actually, I'm about a year ago, Three days before now, <laughs> it's been a, it's been a year since I've been here uh, and been the pastor here. But on that day, I was given I was I, I had these orders placed on me, and the same way Elisha has the cloak of Elijah placed on him, and that is symbolized today with pastors with their stoles, that the stole is the yoke. Uh, that is placed on us, that is a yoke of service, right? It is, it is a service to the people, to God's people, uh, that we are here to serve the people of God in, by preaching the word and administering the sacraments, that um, we are here and uh, we have given up a lot, you know, a lot of the comforts of the world, uh, I could, I could be somewhere else making money. I could be living my life somewhere else with my wife, and, and uh, we could uh, you know, be in some sort of profession that uh, 
would probably pay better or, you know, we could, I could have gone into work with my family. I could have, I could have done a lot of things, but this is what God has called me to do. So I'm here and I have given up a lot of, um, certain luxuries in the world. Um, I've given up, um, certain, uh, yeah, certain things in the world for the sake of Christ and for the sake of following him and for the sake of preaching his word in purity and truth, right? And this gets to an interesting point here, going back to preaching, that um, you see at the beginning here is where Elijah is, he, he ran away from Jezebel. He fled from Jezebel because she threatened his life. And then uh, he went to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know, um, uh, you know, so then he says, uh, what is it? He says, they've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And even I, only I am left, right? And he said, go out and stand by the mount, on, on the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by. And you see these things where... Uh, Honestly, it's kind of annoying how much this is used in a certain way, but you see, <laughs> I'll get to that. You see that the Lord passed by and there's a great strong wind tore the mountains and broken pieces, the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, or some people say a still small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, right? And, and, and you know, that be, because in the low whisper, in the still small voice, God is there. And people use, oh, it's actually very annoying how this is used because it's used in a way that says, you know, well, God will speak to you. God will speak to you uh, when you need it. Um, not saying how. Uh, not saying in what way he'll speak to you. It's just like, you know, well, God will just, he'll, he'll reveal it. He'll let you know. He'll let you know how. You just got to wait for that still, small voice. And it's nerve-wracking because that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works, right? I feel like that lady from the, I think it's a Geico commercial. It's, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. You see that these things are not inside Elijah, that oftentimes when people say, you just have to wait for that still small voice, they usually mean, and then some, sometimes they'll be so bold enough to say it, that still small voice inside of you, right? No, it's not inside of you, right? It's the whole point. We as Christians come to faith, not because of a word that's inside of us, but because of the word that's external, that comes to us from outside of ourselves, right? If it was within Elijah, why didn't he just... You know, he's so distraught. He just did this wonderful, he just did this tremendous thing by killing all these prophets of Baal, not because he's bloodthirsty, but because that's what God commands, right? He, 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 was, he was fulfilling the word of God, and for that, Jezebel came after him. So he fled, fled for his life. And if it was within him this entire time to just knock himself out of it, to just pick himself up by the bootstraps, he would have done it. But God needed to speak to him in the low whisper, in the still, small voice. He spoke to him outside of him. He actually heard this. It wasn't something that was just inside of his head. He actually heard this. And that brings me to this next point, because we say, well, what is the low whisper? 
How do we see that today? We're going to look at that. Let's go to our epistle text for today, uh, for this coming Sunday, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 18 through 25, where St. Paul writes, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We see here that what is that still small voice? Well, let's put all these texts together, right? It's, you, you, you might hear these, these texts, Luke 5, okay, they get in a boat, they catch fish. What's the deal? Elijah uh, hears a still small voice and then calls Elisha. What does that have to do with 1 Corinthians, preaching Christ crucified? I'm going to tell you right now, okay? This is what it all means. I'm gonna wrap it all up together because we're running out of time. But it's worth it, right? This is, this is a nice little exercise here. So we've said before that the boat signifies the church. And the church is the refuge on the chaos of the sea, which is the world. The world is chaotic. The world is always tossing us to and fro on every wind and wave of doctrine. The world wants confusion. It wants uh, division. It wants chaos. It's Satan's instrument to keep us separated or to separate us from Christ. And the way that we draw people in, the way that God really draws people into the boat, into the refuge of the church, out of the chaotic winds and waves of the sea of the world, is by the word of Christ. That the world, the unbelieving world, wants God to act in all the ways that we would expect that we naturally, sinfully would want God to act in the strong wind, in the earthquake, in the fire. But God's not in those things. That's not how he draws people in. Because St. Paul says, Jews seek, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. That we can try and do as uh, St. Peter writes in his first epistle, you know, giving, giving the reason for the hope that is within you. That also is misread a lot. That means that we can argue people into the faith, right? No, that's not what that means. It doesn't mean that we can argue people into the faith. What it means is that the reason for the hope that is within us 
is literally that. Jesus Christ crucified for our sins. That's the reason for the hope that is in us. And sometimes we just need to say it. Even though it's a stumbling block, even though it's folly, right? It says the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to the but to us who are beginning, but to, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Right? Christ crucified is what saves. The preaching of Christ crucified is what saves. That out in the world, you have this cacophony, this, this everyone's saying something or other, everyone's talking about Black Lives Matter, everyone's talking about All Lives Matter, everyone's talking about coronavirus, everyone's talking about masks, they're talking about the curve, they're talking about um, shutting things down, they're talking about uh, the election, they're talking about taxes, they're talking about, oh, they're talking about all this stuff. There's just this cacophony of this, this chaotic sound back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But where is God found? He's found in the still, small voice of Jesus Christ on the cross saying, it is finished. That is where God is, forgiving sins on the cross for you. Believe this. This is the power of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is how this comes together. It's beautiful that Jesus Christ comes to us and he promises such great things. And we have all these things in the world pulling at us from right to left, up and down. We're being pulled in every direction by the world. And yet Christ comes to us. And when we see him as he is, who he is, the almighty God, the God most high dwelling with us, we ought to naturally respond, depart from me for I am sinful. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus doesn't say, you're right. Yeah, get out of here. Or I'll leave because you know what? You don't, you don't deserve me. He says, do not be afraid. It is finished on the cross for you, right? All good things. And with this, actually, it's kind of um, contrary to how things would work in the service, but I'd like to end with the introit for this Sunday uh, because it's apt. Uh, it's from Psalm 27. It's selected verses from Psalm 27. But if you're understanding our, our texts for this Sunday, they're about faith. They're about the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ, crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. That in this world of chaos, we say, well, what's the point of any of this? Why are we doing this? It's because God has promised salvation, and he has won that salvation for you. All you have to do is wait for the Lord. Right? So here, let me read the intro it for you. Psalm 27, uh, selected verses here. 
Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. O you who have been my help, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. O you who have been my help, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. From this, we see that the key is waiting for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. That strength doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from inside of you. It comes from outside of you. It comes from Jesus Christ crucified for you. It comes from Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead for you. It comes from him ascended for you and his return for you to live eternally. That if God had not for fulfilled his promises on the cross and asked and and told us didn't ask told us to be patient and wait for that last day if he if if he didn't do those things there'd be no reason to wait there'd be no reason to be patient but god has fulfilled his promise for us by saving us by the blood of christ and this is the salvation that god provides through the blood of christ and he does this by proclaiming the the word of Christ, and the word of Christ specifically in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. All good things. <laughs> it's a, a beautiful thing, and uh, that's all I have for today. Um, looking forward to preaching this one. That's going to be fun. Um, there's a lot of good stuff here. Uh, I pray that uh, for those of you all that are coming to resurrection, that, that, that you'll be blessed by this, that you'll be able to hear these texts uh, in a way that will guide you and that the Holy Spirit will draw out more meaning for you in them when you hear them on Sunday, um, and that the sermon on Sunday will uh, hold a little more weight as well. You'll be able to really catch what, what's, what's being preached. Um, and for whoever is listening to this um, that uh, is going to a church that, as a pastor, that you're on the one-year lectionary, I pray that this is a a way for you to maybe also add and supplement something that your pastor is saying that he can maybe add to that as well. Um, anyways, uh, I've spoken enough. <laughs> so we will stop there. God's blessings to you um, this Sunday and always. And um, uh, we will talk to you next time. God's peace be with you. Amen. <laughs>